You're listening to the Pitch Deck Podcast. All right, welcome to the Pitch Stack, episode 21. We made it. We're legal in America. Um, we did Drinks it. It's on me. Uh, <laughs> there we go. It was a sparkling water. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, episode 21. We're in the middle of skirmish season. Um, I guess uh, before we start, I uh, wanted to give a shout out to uh, my friend Chris Bromley at Unstuffed Games. Um who uh, had me to talk about how to have better judges in My Hero Academia on his newest episode. But he, uh, if you're coming there from here, he, um, he really plugged the shit out of us today. So oh, shout awesome. out Mr. Bromley and welcome if you're a MHA player listening to this. Thank you so much, Bromley. I heard about this interview. How'd it go? It was surprisingly funny. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> surprisingly? I mean, it's an interview with Bromley. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I was uh, I was happy to hear that uh, un, uh, what is it? Unfun stuff. I guess I think I said unstuffed games, but it's unfun stuff is the name of his LGS that's coming up, and uh, I'm happy to hear that it's a lot closer to opening than I thought it was. Uh, I don't really? know if there's an official date yet, but he like he's legitimately has a space and he's putting stuff in there. <laughs> that's sweet. I'm so looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be huge for South Florida. Um, just have a huge open concept LGS where we can play fab. Because um, it's sweaty down here, literally and figuratively. So Yeah, it's been a hot few months. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, speaking of sweat and, uh, and, you know, literal and figurative, uh, skirmish season for oh, us God, yeah. in, in South Florida <clears throat> has concluded. Matt. You chose Datadoll as your champion. What did you learn? <laughs> I thought we'd I thought we'd wait a little bit before discussing this. Uh, well, you know what? I learned that it's not always about winning. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's really about the memories and friends made along the way. <laughs> you know, and uh, to be fair, to be fair, Datadoll did get a win that night. That's true. You did, uh, you did beat the system. I got to buy. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I had a lot of fun, actually, just losing. Um, but it was really yeah. cool to see, like, actually how close Datadog got to, like, in some places, some matchups where it was like, you know, if I actually had an extra card, this would be in trouble here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this would be problematic. I could block that attack. <laughs> yeah, uh, if for the way this hero was fundamentally designed, <laughs> I could have won this game. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's she she's a cool deck, you know. Honestly, and I saw like I built it a while ago, and I saw like the recent um actually Fab published uh, article um from Riss Robin. And it inspired me to kind of go back to Data Doll and be like, you know what? I'm actually going to try to make this work. Like, legitimately, like, let's see what happens, right? I'm yeah. going to, like, actually theory craft and, like, move some things around in the deck. Um, and I took kind of, like, their idea, like, their their numbers, their stats for the deck and kind of changed a few things. Uh, but it's still, it still sucks when you have that one time you draw a hand of all items and you can't block. That's usually where you lose. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that's what it is, is not only are you nerfed in your ability to block by having three cards, uh, you can't block anyway. With yeah, it's it's bad. But, you know, there are a few ways you can kind of like help yourself out. And that's like with some of the equipment. Um, like iron hides let you feed and turn your uh, items into two blocks. Yeah. That's actually that's not terrible. I do uh as we're talking about Data Doll though, I want to read a sentence from the very short lore article about Data Doll to see oh, if you a agree. Lore article. I didn't know. Oh, it's very yeah. small. It's oh, very small. It's it. like Pale Silverstein length. Like uh, <laughs> all right. 
Datadoll compiles massive quantities of data in order to provide her users with up-to-date intelligence. Would you say the intelligence felt up-to-date, or did you feel like it was one behind? It was definitely one behind. <laughs> I was, uh... That's <laughs> quite, quite a little lore bit right there. Yeah, this is uh, it, her lore article. I really like I, obviously I just discovered this in the background because like you mentioned Datadoll and I was like looking up like maybe some deck lists just see like to have some points to talk about. And then mm -hmm. I saw the LSS thing pop up uh, where uh, featuring the writing of Clark Harper. Uh, Clark Harper has submitted this poem. <laughs> that is her backstory. That's uh, awesome. She's down the slow, error-ridden path of existential pondering. <laughs> Haven't we all been there? I. It, it's it is really funny though. Like I, there's so many moving pieces in the deck. Like I had one game playing against a Reinar, where like I had, I must have had like eight items on play, <laughs> two microprocessors, just like an, two microprocessors and an optical monocle, and I was just like. Oh yeah, this card doesn't say once per turn, so I'm just gonna like opt, 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 opt to try to find like something that blocks <laughs> or something that <laughs> actually is useful here. Yeah, right. It's towards the end of the game, and uh, like two Teclo Pounders in play, and you know, just not being able to have an extra card in your hand is pretty rough. It's, yeah, it's not, uh... that and. I don't know. To me, it seems like a lot of mechanologist stuff. Uh, like having one of them is good, but really, it seems like a lot of strategies are built around getting out three of a particular item, uh, specifically induction chamber and um, and plasma purifier. Well, I mean, so that's like super limited wind to, it was weird. I feel like, yeah, that's like definitely that's like where you're you're living the dream, though, there. Yeah, that's very true uh at all levels so i guess like in this case you'd be living the dream by getting two out so maybe that's fundamentally uh i don't know the hero's fast yeah, like the, obviously the, microprocessor's sick like that yeah. card's insane the deck's weird because it's like it it wants to get all these items to set up but then like along the way it's not really threatening a whole lot it's like maybe i have like a zipper hit for four and another one for five like that's like one of the better turns um yeah. you know and that's assuming i have a three card hand if i have if i had the block then it's even worse you know um but it actually it's pretty cool because there's like items you could include in your deck like um like um what's it called hyper driver which isn't in this particular list that it was on the skirmish feature but I like it a lot because it helps your uh hand your hands that are on fewer fewer cards, right? You can play a zero cost uh boost attack boost and then get a resource and then you can pour that resource into your chest piece to banish more cards off the top. Yeah, and then get resource back for it. And if you have another card to play in your arsenal or in your hand potentially, and you can do that or load up one of your items that uh, support your pistol. Yeah, you know, actually, that doesn't seem very bad. Um, yeah. I will say, though, looking at most data doll lists, like obviously microprocessor is the best card in the deck. And mm -hmm. immediately my thought is that'd be great in Shiana. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's really funny. You know, and yeah. uh, the one the one the one matchup I had where I was like, I think I can actually take this was was uh, against Phi. Oh, yeah. And you know why? It's because uh, Dissolution Sphere like absolutely just wrecks their entire like game plan. Yeah, that it does. It really. So, yeah, like I I played I was unfortunate, though, where like I didn't hit them. And like the most ideal timing, like I hit one on like one of my early turns, but then like immediately the turn after I hit the next one. Hmm. So like I couldn't really like they were overlapping, if you know what I mean, like they were two out at once. Oh, that does make sense. Yeah, So I, I would only have three turns as opposed to four turns of 
uh, damage prevention. Huh. So I would be able to block like around the breakpoints and then allow the one damage to leak, but then prevent it with the sphere. Huh. That is interesting. I yeah, that seems that's that's interesting to me that what I perceive as one of the best decks in the format actually has like not a great matchup against uh one of the worst decks in the format. That's actually really fascinating. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it has a bad matchup. I'd just say that <laughs> I have a, a I have like two or three tools in my deck that actually help me out. But uh it lets me live longer. Cuz once those things are not in play, it's it's all free game. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, um I don't I played uh, I played Kasai all skirmish season which was fun. I, the, the main thing I want to talk about this skirmish season is that it is not fun in any way whatsoever, especially as Kasai uh, to play against Icelander. It is a, um, you just don't play it. Um, it uh, just never works out for you and it, uh, mm -hmm. it's not great. So I don't know. It was uh, like uh, I made the finals of the first skirmish uh, I played in and I went against Icelander in the finals and obviously lost. And then uh, the second skirmish I played in, I was actually able to dodge Icelander all day. But then I just uh, I don't know. I just I guess I was just off, but I ended up going one and three. It just wasn't great. Um, mm -hmm. But I will say because uh, I felt good. Uh, the deck, maybe I maybe my build was a little too consistent. Like I was running all eight Blade Runners with the uh, with run through as the seventh and eighth copy. Yeah. And I don't know. It was a little interesting because uh, I I mean, I ran her last skirmish. So I didn't add that many new cards. It was relatively the same deck. I um, imagine mostly like mostly run through is the card that's like being added to your deck for the most part maybe like a i don't know well it's actually space. interesting uh so one of the best cards that got printed for kasai is kasai really to me as a as somebody who has hundreds and hundreds of games with kasai played one of her primary weaknesses is sometimes like you'll get caught with like a blood on uh blood on her hands in your arsenal or something and like it just you'll be playing against guardian they won't let you make any copper whatsoever like you're just gonna win with chip damage you're not gonna have an explosive turn and crown of providence is actually very very good uh in kasai because i mean you're obviously sacrificing that one extra life but in kasai it doesn't really matter because you have valiant dynamo but being able to consistently get a stuck card out of your arsenal is huge mm-hmm so I don't know. I, I mean, I still love the deck. Uh, do I wish I would have brought something else maybe with like a more varied play style? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, like, See, uh, I, I think that Kasai really her worst or the, the big issue she has is like her curve is so like strict, right? Yeah. So like the it's like every turn decks, is the same. Yeah. So like the ice decks are uh, super bad against you. Like as in they really throw off your game plan. Well, especially like uh, because as warrior, you rely so much on attack reacts. Um, like any good wizard player is able to play instance before even declaring a defense, you know, so you're unable to play reactions before those frostbites hit you. Yep. And you're just stuck. So. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I did end up with an Aether Ashwing mat, though, so that was cool. Uh, all things said and done. Um, yeah hell yeah so yeah i don't know i enjoyed skirmish season but blitz to me is still missing something i don't know if it's an expanded sideboard i don't know if it's a i mean obviously you can't really do best of three because it ends up taking so long so i i don't know i don't know what blitz is missing but it still felt a little coin flippy and i one of the reasons i love flesh and blood especially cc is I mean, one or two miserable matchups for your deck aside, the game is very much in the control of you as a player, whether or not you see how much your micro decisions are affecting the game or not. That is where the level of skill lies. And that just wasn't there in Blitz. Blitz felt very. Um, yeah, I the game know. doesn't yeah. last long enough for that to be a factor. Like, yeah, turns will definitely the games will definitely last like three turns only. Depending on the matchups, but like 
It's just not that kind of format. Absolutely. It's a, it's a format where the format, like the game asks you three questions and then the game is over. Uh, yeah. You know, like, what do you block with here? What do you block with here? What do you attack with here? Game over. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, it, it, we maybe, we might be just, you know, uh, watering it down a little bit here, but like, generally speaking, compared to like the depth of CC, it certainly feels that way. Absolutely. You know? Um, Blitz is. We we've talked thoroughly about like what we'd we, what we would do about Blitz, right? The last skirmish season, we talked Get a lot about. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> we talked a lot about the the things that we would change, like you know, um, ideas for like sideboarding or uh, deck size or best of three, which obviously we disagree with that, but it's it's something to consider. Is like they should maybe revisit blitz as a format and then see what they can do to try to, uh, I don't know, to try to change the constant coin flippy nature of the format, you know? Well, here, let me make a statement to you. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this or not. It's just a thought I had um, while I was thinking about blitz as a format. And so what I said to myself, or I wrote this down, I don't necessarily know if I agree with it or not. I'm curious about your thoughts on it. Blitz continues to exist as a format because classic constructed is expensive. Mm, probably true, but classic constructed doesn't have Benji, KO, and all these other unique heroes. So there are going to be players who are attracted to those heroes and play styles that aren't going to get a chance to play them if, if Blitz didn't exist. Yeah, that's very true. Um, um, and also Blitz is a fast format, so I don't think I agree. Um, Blitz would still exist if CC was uh, more affordable. Huh, yeah. I don't, think, I, think I, don't, right. I don't know if Blitz would be as popular, maybe, or as like demanded in some like cases, depending on player bases and locations, but I think it would uh, it would have minimal effect on the existence of it. I don't hate the idea of them kind of retconning a lot of the young heroes to have whatever the scale is of 30 life. I think 25 or 30 it's, life. It's splits. just double. Wait, what? It's just double. What do you mean? Maybe. Too I mean, much are, you, are you suggesting? I'm sorry. Maybe I misunderstood what you suggested. Are you suggesting to turn all the young heroes that are unique to Blitz to adults for? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm saying like maybe that's the fix for Blitz is you scale the life a little higher. Um, oh, I don't well, know if that's you, necessarily 30, but you would have a, you would have run into the problem of the game running longer than 30 minutes. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it's already tough enough as it is that players you, uh, like players generally like to use all the time that they have in a game, whether they realize it or not even if they don't need it, like they usually use all the time they have in a game, unless they're kind of like rushing through it and they're like aggro matchups. If you're playing against two matchups that are kind of like at each other's, like they're like opposites of each other. They usually take a lot of time to think on each other's turns. Yeah, that makes sense. Block. Like if you're playing aggro into control, both players are definitely taking all the time to think about their outs and your opponent's possible reactions. Most aggro decks are just aggro, aggro, aggro. Those games are over quick. Most of the matches are like, okay, I'm going to take my time to have it to think about this and how I should block, how I should play this turn sequencing. So, okay, so that leads me to another question in that case. Do you think at some point in the near future we end up seeing a format that's kind of a hybrid of CC and Blitz where I feel like the issue with CC is the games take a very long time. Uh, like if you love flesh and blood, that's not a problem. But if you're in your first couple months of playing, it seems very daunting. Do you think at some point we see a hybrid? I don't know. Well, perhaps a new format. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I don't really think so. If I'm being completely honest, but if we had to imagine it, like I can. You could consider maybe like chess timers. Although yeah. that's something to consider for CC as well, because I think some people monopolize the time of a match. Certain players monopolize uh, 
the match timer. Um, Absolutely. But it's also that would also kind of like I don't know any TCG that currently does that. And it would also add a null another factor for players needing to remember to hit the timer and then adding a whole nother section into rules for the timer and infractions and such and such. I think it just generally causes more problems than it actually fixes. That makes sense. Um, or just more complications, rather. Although the idea has been passed around for a long time, especially for Magic. Um, I mean, they naturally have that on uh, Magic Online because it's easy to do. It's automatic. It's not. Uh, it's not necessary for any player to press a button. Yeah, it's easy to keep track of priority. Yeah. Um. Okay. So this leads me to my final question. When I was brainstorming about Blitz and ways to fix it, uh, do you think that there is any room for Blitz exclusive equipment? And what do you think that looks like? Absolutely, a hundred percent. What do you do? You think it? Do you think it becomes? Do you think it becomes uh, more powerful equipment than we would have for CC? Flexible. I don't know. Interesting. Like, I think uh, it that becomes makes more flexible. So what that what I mean is like probably equipment that looks a lot that probably more equipment that that look like Skullbow cross wraps or like heart of ice that serve like multi purpose. Yeah. So like I they, think that they makes will a lot of sense. multiple version multiple types of damage or maybe equipments that have no block but they have two different abilities. Yeah, I like that a lot. Or like um, rare equipments uh, that are like, because we don't actually have class rare equipments yet. That's not a thing. Unless you're counting like weapons. But yeah, we it's only weapons. Rare class equipments. Huh, that's interesting. Or talent I... equipment. So like that could show up in another supplemental set where like, you know, you might have uh normal class uh classic equipments are rare and majestic ones and you have cold foils of each right um and i think that it'd be cool to see like some sort of rare equipment show up that have very like unique uh types of abilities like with like quell but also have like uh some other kind of activated ability yeah absolutely i think that makes a lot of sense to like uh just to add flexibility to it creates a higher skill mm -hmm. cap without uh taking up too much time that's a that's a very good point huh well i don't want to think about blitz again for a while uh so <laughs> agreed agreed <clears throat> um so i i do think something that is interesting right is we uh we could very well be down to the last two and a half weeks of prism here um august 31st is the next so i guess that's exactly three weeks from today is the exact uh day that they are taking a look at the living legend points and seeing if prism gets there um obviously we've discussed this a little bit and i have started to see a meta play out without prism and um tell me what you think of this because this is my observation i don't it's obviously very small sample size. Without Prism, um, Bravo becomes such a dominant deck that uh, they may have to actually hit some cards. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I'd say that I don't know because I don't know what it looks like without Prism. That's true. I mean, I have had to face against Bravo multiple times playing other, like, in in that same meta. Like, I've had to play against Bravo uh, with Viserai, at least my own personal experience and my own personal deck. Like, I have so many reps against that deck that I feel like I can play into it well, like, 50% of the time. Like, I think I can win, like, 50-50. Maybe, maybe a little better actually depending on how i draw yeah um but also good a good guardian player with a lot of play tests uh under their belt against our matchup as well can definitely outskill uh outskill me potentially like so 
my opinion is that against the rest of the meta, though, um, I don't know if they're necessarily going to need to hit anything. I just think that the meta is going to have to change. That makes sense. Right. Because, like, everybody's relying, was, was very relying on five, uh, Fi's combo OTK potential that got nerfed a little bit. And then now if we're going to start seeing more guardians come into the play where you actually have to block all these attacks and not going to be able to play your small cost attacks without uh, taking a shit ton of damage. It's just not, it's just not going to work out. Um, regarding other heroes besides Fi, um, I'm not sure. They've all existed before before this whole new meta shakeup, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really don't know. Yeah, I don't really know either. It certainly, in the limited amount of testing that I have done, um, Bravo seems to, at very worst, have a fifty-fifty against uh, Dex, um, and completely snuffs out Fi uh, every time. So it's uh, it's weird. It is very odd to see a deck that powerful. Any idea if we'll see old, old him uh, re-enter the meta? Or uh, is he I don't know. just like sitting on the sidelines? I don't think we do. I think Oldham's innate weakness is that he is too slow. Um, yeah. And I don't mean that in terms of like play style or what he's able to do. I just mean if you are playing a game with a 50 minute timer, it's very difficult for Oldham to play defensively the way he's designed and kill your opponent in that time frame. And I know there are very good Oldham players that are able to get in there under that time frame. Just the vast majority of people I see that try Oldham, stay on him for a little bit, get a couple too many draws and then never touch the deck again. Yeah. It, it's weird, you know, it's it's weird how they design the hero that way, but um, I think eventually he'll come out of his um, his cage, you know. Um, they'll <laughs> add more cards for it, I hope. I think they knew he was slow, though. Like, his yeah. name is Old Him, the grandfather of eternity. It's just all the slow stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean... I guess it was an intentional design choice. He's also ice, the slowest yeah. element. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe we do see him come out at some point. I just feel like he's awkward right now, for sure. Maybe blue people need to display aggro. Yeah, right. Aggro old him. Young him. Young him. Grandson of tomorrow. Uh, we'll see. Uh... <laughs> That sounds. I don't hilarious. know. Yeah, right. The grandson of tomorrow. Uh, perhaps a new young hero. Um, so I, Prism's gonna be gone. That sucks. I well, wasn't we, planning on it. Do we know she's gonna get a thousand lonely legend points, or are we kind of just anticipating? I mean, we're just anticipating it. It's just way too close. Uh, like here. Let me let me bring up the the organized play. Uh, we have two points away. There is a battle hardened in two days. Then there is a battle hardened the week afterwards. Then there is a calling and then there is a pro tour. So there are four, uh, four options to get there. And then if not, then she definitely gets hit at Nats next month for sure. Let's hope before that. Let's hope. I don't want to play against uh, Prism at the calling. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Okay, well, uh, with that said, uh, it's interesting here. There's a few things I wanted to speculate on about the future of the game. So, Fi and Jermai had new lore articles come out today. Uh, their lore is weird. It's overly convoluted. It's difficult to follow the characters. These are just my personal criticisms. I don't know if they're necessarily accurate. However, there is something that's very interesting about them. And that is Jermai and Fi have three-part stories. The first part is out. The second part just came out. And they both have a third part scheduled to come out October 31st, meaning that they are both likely players in the Dynasty expansion. I know James White has said that Dynasty is there to continue the storyline that Uprising started. Um, now, at Pro Tour Lele, 
they will be unveiling a new hero from Dynasty, and that hero is the Emperor. Huh. And what is very interesting to me is that directly in the lore, they mention that the Emperor is a wizard. Oh. So, new wizard confirmed, perhaps? It'd be weird for the Emperor to be a young hero, but also a hilarious story twist. That would be... That'd be weird. Right? I, I mean, like, the child's Emperor is a trope. Like, that is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm sure somewhere it, like, mentions him not being well, it, a child. Look, if you look at the uh, actual uh, lore, the lore piece that just came out, Betrayal for Dromai, it shows her uh, it shows her looking at like these black and white images of this one particular guy. And he's got that big old crest hair thing. Uh, he's got flame in his hand, kind of like Kano, but he's an old bald dude with a mustache. Oh, yeah. So that guy is Zathari in the lore. Is he um, not the emperor? He is not. He is one of the Drakais, I believe. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so essentially, uh, I, I mean, long story short, like Jermai, essentially, uh, she was birthed by the Drakais, um, but like she got abandoned as a child and she was raised by the Volkai, by Fi's mother. So like they're not blood related, but they view each other as siblings. Um, and then oh. eventually she was she was taken back by the Drakai people where they were like, oh, she's one of us. We need to teach her all this stuff. Um, because she was like a talented illusionist. And so I believe that the Zathari character is her mentor, um, or was once she became a Drakai again. Wow, interesting. Like I said, not easy to follow. Um oh. <laughs> I mean it, it's kind of actually cool though. Like I kinda like that. Yeah, right? It's a it's big Moses vibes. <laughs> yeah, actually actually. Yeah, right? <laughs> Reminds me of that old 90s movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, I, I don't know. It seems like uh, it to me, it seems like their general hatred towards the emperor. It'd be weird for him to be a kid. Uh, so I, I don't know. But uh, so I've got to imagine we will be getting a new draconic adult wizard coming in to dynasty um now why do i bring this up i bring this up because i have been following prices in the market extremely closely um blood of the drakai is down to 88 dollars if this card were to ever find a home my guess is is it is in a draconic wizard that we are a mere three weeks away from seeing. Uh, do you pick up this fable at $88 right oh, now? Absolutely. If I didn't already have it, like it'd be, I'd be hard pressed to try. Um, yeah. And I think as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to pick one up myself because I convinced myself to do it with that speech. So uh, I 100%. think this, I think this is a great spec opportunity because let's be real. Uh, Blood of Jerkai is at its floor. Um, I do not see this card going lower for any reason whatsoever. Like, I, I, I mean, there's just no way we will have a fable below. Like, I mean, I'm surprised we have a fable below $100, let alone at 88 right now. Mm-hmm. That is kind of wild. I mean, the price of Heart and Findall has been going down slowly, too. Am I not? Am I not correct there? Uh, so hard is at 160. Uh, so here's something that's interesting, right? Uh, this is mostly speculation, but you can tell with card prices, if they end in a zero or a five, chances are their price is kind of stagnant, right? Um, because zero and fives are arbitrary numbers. Those are the numbers we pick when we want to add a value to something. Uh, sure. But if you see a card that has a value, like Corsham is at 128. Like, nobody sees a Corsham and is like, I'm going to sell this for $128. You sell it for $128 because you've noticed that it's been selling at $130 and, or, or it's been stuck at $130. So when something has something that doesn't end in a zero or five, 
people are actively listing and or buying the card. And to oh. me, that makes Corsham Grandeur and Blood of the Drakai very interesting right now because they are the three legendaries that don't end in a zero or a five. Uh, that's not always true, right? Because sometimes those competitive prices intersect with the zero or the five, right? Like Library is a great example of that right now. Like Library is in a free fall uh, because people are anticipating Prism going away. And let's be real, Bolton's not running that card. Uh, yeah. And so I, it's at 120 right now. It used to be a $300 card. Like Library is in a free fall. And I don't know, when I see Blood at 88 and Library which will be useless in two weeks is at 120. Obviously, Monarch had a smaller print run than we are seeing with Uprising, but $88, my God, if you have that sitting around and you like to spec on card games, nobody's going to be buying that and being like, oh, I can't believe it's a $70 card after they spoiled a third Draconic hero. Yeah, not at all. Blood of the Drakai for sure. I don't know. It's, we don't know what the Wizards are going to be like. You know, I mean, if we, Based on how wizards have had abilities, the next three draconic cards you play this turn cost one less. So you would have to be able to play multiple draconic cards. So in uh, some way, you might have to have go again. That's or, true. Or ways to get cards to play. That is interesting, right? Because you may not have a situation where you are able to cast more than one instant Ooh. return. Ooh, hold up. Hear me out. Hear okay. Me out. Impulse drawing. What does that mean? Impulse, like in magic, the, the terminology, the, sh the shorthand for exiling cards off the top, you may play this turn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, let's just imagine this wizard had an ability that said you may banish a red card a red pitch card from your hand and you may then banish the top two cards of your deck you may play any non-attack action cards from there as though they were instants this turn i think that's i mean that's like a double kano right for a third of the cost essentially um damn yeah that's true <laughs> that seems good. real good. That <laughs> seems real, real good. Um, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just trying to spitball some ideas. I guess, yeah, Kano's an impulse drawing hero too. Um, I think it, okay, so if I had to design this hero, I think because Kano is a Drakai also, they will likely have similar abilities that are different. And if I want to play up the Draconic aspect, which is, uh, you know, you're adding red cards. I do this twice per turn instant. One red, banish the top card of your deck. If it's a red card, you may play it this turn. I think that oh, works. That's, that's interesting. That's actually not, that's, that might not be okay. That, that's pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of dangerous, right? That's like... <laughs> but you're running all those reds, like a lot of wizard cards are going to be very difficult for you to cast. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It may I don't work for LSS wizard. for a reason. I mean, the way it's worded, it doesn't sound like it's very wizard focused. To just be playing all these zero cost red cards and have them on top of my deck and just be able to play out five card hands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm excited. I'm going to pick up a Blood of Drakai. Uh, here's something interesting. Erase face. It's stabilized. What was once a $30 card is now sitting at 17 People are seeing that it is elite sideboard tech against Phi. It basically, if you can land one of these, you win the game. Um, you are forcing Phi to take a turn off either by getting hit by this or giving you uh, his whole hand. So sure. it is a phenomenal sideboard card against a very dominant aggro deck. Yeah, that's... Uh, and then and the water is blue. Water Ocean is blue ocean is blue. water is clear um the ocean is blue important i i don't know <laughs> i don't know i was just trying to say like yes yeah, race face is a good card <laughs> absolutely it is um uh prism cards are crashing in anticipation of her lling uh water is wet water is blue um you know i do find something very interesting so here's a pattern that i have seen right now um and this is absolutely crazy to me uh i know i wrote part of that down wrong so i'm gonna fix that real quick uh so warrior cards are spiking really hard right now um 
and I don't really understand why. I mean, and so I, Dory's yeah, cool. Dory is cool, uh, but why is Valiant Dynamo a $115 card right now? Maybe because it used to be more, actually. It did used to be more. That is very true. Um, Glistening Steel Blade. What was, I thought it was at its peak around 25 is now a $30 card. And what, uh, what shocked me the most is Courage of Blade Holds is a $30 Majestic. Um, which makes it, I believe, the single most expensive piece of Majestic equipment in the game right now. Huh. I mean, I think it was usually, it was often the most expensive of the eight uh, from, from Crucible of War. That's true. I, the only time I can think of it not being the most expensive was during the Starvo meta, where there were multiple decks looking for Crater Fists, and or it was a Skeleton. $40 card. Yeah, Skeleton went up there for a little bit as well. Um, I know I am going to in the background just so that I know I'm not like just talking about whatever. Uh, I am going to go ahead and see a price listing for all majestic equipment, sorted by high to low. Um, okay, Maybe so yeah, have changed. Uh, Courage of Bladehold is the most expensive. Um, and that includes the extended art printing of uh, Earthlore Brown. Earthlore Bounty, which is the uh, number two most expensive. That is interesting. Well, that version of it, right? Uh, the white border one is $29. No, that version of the Earthlore Bounty is the second most expensive. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, yeah, standard, one like the standard one's like a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let me be clear about that. So that is very interesting <laughs> to me. Um, I don't know. Do you think there's any reason people would be expecting a Dory revival? You know, aside from aside from her matchups into Icelander, I think that Warrior actually has a pretty good place in the meta. Um, I mean, I I can't speak from like my own experience, just from what I can tell, uh, with the new cards that they've gotten with Run Through and uh, the Glistening Steel Blade, the new the new uh, pre con deck. It's a really good card. Yeah, it's really good. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't actually play that well into Visra. I've like crushed it every time I've played against uh Warrior, but uh but I feel like it's really, really good into like Fi and Romai, because they need to block these attacks and they can't do it. Like Fi needs to needs to block these can't block these attacks and they're just gonna keep getting counters and the attacks are just gonna get gonna keep getting bigger. And then yeah. Dromai suffers from the same thing she does against Runeblades. It's like, oh, you can't prevent the on-hit effects because your dragons let me hit you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, so, and then, I mean, on top of that, as Dory, you get all your reprise triggers against Guardian. So maybe Dory is positioned really well going into this new meta. Right, exactly. I mean, the thing is, you have to watch out for and prepare for is... How do you deal with the inevitable Icelander? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you deal with it. It might be it might be something to worth looking into and testing. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Icelander is just one of those cards uh, where or it's just one of those decks where. I feel like there are enough things in CC to keep it out of the meta. Uh, but who's to say, you know, right. So you're certainly going to see it a lot locally. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, people love that shit. I don't, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> they are real into it. So, all of that said, um, uh, looking other market news, right? Cold foil heroes are all holding at around 150 plus, which is crazy. Uh, specifically, adult heroes. And, uh, and, um, by, and by cold foil adult heroes, $150, you mean uprising ones. I mean uprising ones, but also uh, it seems most of the others. I know that. Um, I mean, because really we're only looking at the three cold sets. Foil, you're not about to tell me cold foil Vistra is $150, right? Well, I mean, $150 plus. Let me. Uh, let oh, me, okay. Yeah, <laughs> let me reiterate that $150 <laughs> is the floor for cold foil heroes. 
It's uh, interesting, though, that Briar is slightly below that, but I think that has to do with the spread of the market, being that there are two separate cold foil Briars available, and one is quote-unquote correct. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that has something to do with it. Uh, it's interesting, and I think... So what I'm seeing in the market, right, is once you are on a deck, right, it, we've seen this in Magic the Gathering Commander, you the very first card that you go for when you are like this is my deck this is my identity now um you go for your commander which is roughly the hero in this game right that is very difficult to do with the original eight heroes absolutely very difficult to do um and it's interesting to see that we have a point where the vast majority of these cold foil heroes, um, which I believe is all of them but Briar, even Chain as adult Chain is still at 150. Um, we are seeing that they are outpacing the legendaries required to play them. Now, does that mean that people have settled into their decks for the meta? I don't know, but what do you think? Well... I feel like it's just the availability of these legendaries. I mean, the game has been printing a lot, at least, you know, lately, uh, has been printing a lot of, of cards in these sets or a lot of uh, boxes for each set. So at least regarding the last few sets, you know, the legendaries, uh, they're copious. Yeah. They're very uh, easy to find and uh plentiful so you know it's not like it's going to be difficult to actually acquire uh one of the legendaries you need for your deck and i think like you said you know a lot of people are feeling committed to a hero at this point for the foreseeable future competitively I mean, yeah they may have they may have a factor in that um i don't know um it could just be the market moving movement, you know, um, a lot of people selling, meaning a lot of races, you know, to see the bottom of prices. Yeah, I think you're uh, I think you're 100 percent. I also think there, there are a handful of these aren't, aren't actually moving all that much. Yeah, I that's something that's uh, with the data I have right now, very difficult to track. Um, and it's uh, it's one of those things where. When we look at promo cards, uh, it's interesting to think about the Monarch and Toa heroes. One thing that like separated them is they all had very easy to acquire rainbow foils. Where we are not seeing that with um, with this current, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it with this current like a. Uh, What's the what's the word I'm looking for? Generation or this current set of heroes. The rainbow foils are in almost every case significantly more difficult to acquire than the cold foil. And I think maybe that's causing both prices to go up and what stay you, in put. In what way? What do you mean? Like the legendaries? Uh no, just the hero cards uh for uprising. Oh. Well, it might just be like how they're the the edge it it, it really is just because the way that their pricing their pricing is distributed like they happen to give like all these cold foil heroes out all of these all of these uh big uh road the nationals but rainbow foil Phi, and dromai aren't actually that plentiful right yeah i mean we're, they're, they're, uh, only, they're, they're incredibly rare out what uh what kind of event i uh, they also gave out a rainbow foil icelander and i'm not entirely sure where that comes from that is the adult icelander also the uh yeah. stormbind i'm not entirely sure where you acquired the rainbow foil one um but it's it's one of those things where the rainbow foil for uh for fi and dramai are so rare that they don't even have uh tcg player entries which is uh I mean, fascinating they, they and they certainly exist is what you're saying uh, yeah i mean them. they uh Oh, you have so they they handed them out at the preview events. That was the only place to get them. Uh, oh, well, like then, Las Vegas deal. Yeah, that would be that would explain then. 
there's I, I feel like there would be significantly fewer of those than there would be of uh of the road the national ones because think about it it's only they were only doing three uh preview events sydney madrid and uh and uh vegas right yeah so count up how many attendants they had in each one of those you know what are you like to say 1500 maybe at us yeah like, and i mean i'm just throwing numbers out there right let's just say imagine a combined 3000 right yeah and if you think about how many stores were running road the nationals in which they had four of each uh hero other than icelander you know say like there's 2000 stores right that times yeah. four is a large a little bigger number so the coal foils are more plentiful than there are rainbow foils. Yeah, Although I think that makes foils, sense. I guess could technically look cooler, more impressive because it's coal foil. It doesn't necessarily translate to being more rare. Yeah, I mean, they do look cooler. That's scientific fact. We all know that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and so, I mean, one of the reasons the first reason I brought this up, right, is legendaries are falling across the board. Cold foil heroes are staying put. Obviously, I think we're both on the same page. That's likely due to scarcity over anything else. But I do want to touch on legendaries falling across the board. And this has been my thought on it. Everybody I know that plays this game competitively or seriously on any level, um, they are to some degree, not everybody is a full 100%er, but to some degree, they are fab completionists where they like to have legendaries for four or five different heroes. And then once they've acquired those, they kind of sit on them. And it's like, okay, now it's time to play the game. It's like one of those situations. And do you think the reason, so it's complicated, especially in an inflation driven economy, but we are seeing inflation disappear right now. Um, it's very interesting to me to see the legendaries fall. Uh, do you think this is because Obviously, the reason the prices are falling is because people aren't buying them. Do you think people aren't buying them because they're they already have them? Or do you think people are just, I don't know, selling them instead of buying them? I mean, it's interesting. It might just be the, the demand, honestly. I mean, certain legendaries just don't have a demand right now. And yeah, I mean, people and maybe people just aren't playing those decks that need them like Let's just, you know, pick on a card here at random. Um, uh, Grasp is a great example, I think. Of the Arknight? Grasp of the Arknight? Yeah, we're looking, it was a $150 card for a very long time. Now it's hovering around 90 Really? Which I think is very interesting because, I, I mean, Runeblade huh. cards, I think, You're are right. a great litmus test, right? Uh, because Runeblade is, there are three specific different play styles. Obviously, Chain, you can't play in CC anymore, but... Runeblade cards appeal to a vast majority of different decks. They appeal to a, they appeal to very different types of players. Like a Viserai player and a Briar player are take very different viewpoints and strategies into the game, but they share this one card that was previously in high demand. And so it's very interesting to me to see the demand for a legendary that's still played in two top tier decks fall like that, right? Well, obviously, it's because of PsyOps online and Twitter <laughs> trying to banish banish Viserai before he's being given a chance. I'm Absolutely. <laughs> but um, no, like, it's just not meta right now. I don't know. It, it, it just doesn't. OK, so like this card being ninety six dollars instead of like, I'm sorry, that's a moderately played one. Let's just be honest here. This card being one hundred and three dollars instead of being. $175 from whenever it was has probably a lot to do with the economy as well. Like you said, I mean, it probably has a lot to do as well with the game is where it's at right now too. But it's like we were talking about earlier, people are just trying to make their money back in their, from their investments in the game. Like I imagine a lot of people are selling these cards to try to make money. Yeah. And so there's always going to be like this little race. I mean, we can also just look at the sale snapshot, right? The sales in the last uh, month or two. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Quite a few of them have sold in the month of July. Yeah, I think that means we've kind of seen the floor for Grasp of the Arknight. Like, this is, 
we will never have a metagame without a rune blade. We have never seen one. I doubt we will ever have one. And to me, this is one of the most evergreen legendaries you can have in the game. Right. I think it's when when a hero is not blatantly, when a hero is not blatantly like the top tier, right? When it's not the hero in the discussions for like who's in top eight of Nats or whatever like their their cards usually aren't the focus they aren't the spotlight right yeah but no yeah i, mean, I think that makes if sense you, if you ask me they're all wrong yeah this is definitely going to be in top eight of any competitive event moving forward you're lying to absolutely yourself. No, I agree wholeheartedly. I think Viserai is an important part of the meta right now. I also think Briar uh, is a good part of the meta right now. Briar has a very good Fi matchup. Um, it's very easy to navigate. And to me, it's very interesting to see that what I believe is an evergreen card in Grasp of the Ark Knight compared to a truly evergreen card in Feyendal's Spring Tunic, which is now $175. Um, I picked mine up for under $100, a yeah. WTR Rainbow Foil one, I don't know, four or five months ago. Nice. Uh, so it's, it's a very interesting market shift. I can't necessarily explain it, but it's definitely worth noting, you know? Yeah, I mean... The tunic's gone up mostly because of its demand. You know, I mean, it's so yeah. necessary in a lot of decks, and especially for like um, the new heroes that just came out. All three of them use tunic, so yeah. if you're going to play any of the UPR heroes, you want a tunic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you end up with a uh, you end up playing tunic and fridge uh, just in case. Yeah, um, I mean, you want tunic in most of those decks. I mean, Dromai, yeah, you probably could get away just playing Flamescale Furnace and no Tunic, but I'm sure there's a version of it that also runs Tunic. You can't always reliably have the uh, Flamescale Furnace ability ready. Yeah. So, okay, Matt, I'll give you a little market quiz, right? Uh, I know you're not as transfixed on prices as I am when it comes to this stuff, so I don't expect you to nail this out of the park, but I'm curious to see if I were to ask this, like, how you would answer. What do you believe currently are the three most expensive legendaries in the game? Most expensive uh, by TCG Low. Okay, what do you mean, like Rainbow Foil or Cold Foil? Yeah, Rainbow Foil. Just Rainbow the foil? TCG Low any version. What are the three most expensive legendaries in the game? Three most expensive. Okay, um, Tunic, uh, Phantasmal Footsteps. Uh, Correct. Tunic. Oh, wait, I oh, yeah. said Tunic. <laughs> uh, Stormstriders. Yeah, that's correct. And I think that's really interesting. To be fair, um, though, I did have the page open. Oh, okay. Already, like, when you were asking the question, I was looking at the page, so. It's very, very <laughs> interesting to me, though, that Footsteps is the most expensive legendary in the game right now. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, uh, Prism is still legal. Yeah, and it really was expensive for a while because yeah, it was uh, it almost went up to three hundred dollars when they yeah, revealed Dramai, which LOL. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, you're in the money. Nice. But um, I kind of I, I slightly regret it because I kind of like Dromai and I feel like Dromai, uh, her verse, her a good version of her deck plays a lot of those phantasm attacks. Yeah. So you're going to want the footsteps anyways to protect those. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, you will want those. And it's weird because you're it's like, do I let one dragon live or do I let all my attacks live? And it's yes, it's always all your attacks. That's 100 percent what you do. You only bring yeah. in the other shoes for AB. Um, so I don't know. It's fascinating. Um, now, obviously, I don't expect every week, like I'm sure we'll get some news. I don't expect every week to kind of delve into prices this deeply. But there are, uh, I did want to bring up like index funds for um, fables and for legendaries. So oh, currently, do, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I, I'll walk <laughs> you through this. And for people at home that are confused. So if you were to acquire one of every fable in the game at the lowest rarity you can buy in at, um, the grand total would be $1,202, right? Um, now, I'm going to keep track of that on a weekly basis. 
Uh, if you were to buy in every, I mean, I'm ignoring white border because who cares? Uh, and roughly the prices are about the same. But if you were to buy in one of every legendary at rainbow foil black border, you would be spending two, $2,588, right? So those are the separate indexes for fables and for legendaries. And are you counting um, silver palms and stalagmite that don't have gold foil. Uh, rainbow foil printings yeah so i'm i'm it's not necessarily rainbow foil i'm just uh the way i like to put it is the lowest uh bar of entry for that particular card i think is like the way to put it and uh there is no white border card uh white border legendary where the price is significantly different from its black border counterpart um so i didn't include those and And, so for uh, tunic and skullcap are you doing rainbow foil original print or uh non-foil uh, so right now, all three prices for both are about equal. Um, but I, I just for argument's sake and for the ability of the document, I did put the original rainbow foil. OK, cool. Um, but I mean, obviously, I'll make note of it if prices change. I mean, I'm sure they will over the years as things become more collectible. Um, but right now, they're all about equal. So, so what would it um, cost you your entry? Oh, for every legendary? Yeah. Uh, $2,588 currently. Um, okay. And that, uh, that has been bumped up by about, let's see, uh, two, three, six, seven, a hundred. Uh, that's been bumped up by about $400 with the release of Uprising, uh, which is interesting. So uh, it's, this is something that I want to keep track of on a week to week basis, just like what legendary prices are changing the most and like what these index funds look like. I mean, not really index funds, but, you know, in general, just the Fable Legendary Index. And then something I call the FL Total Index, which is if you were to acquire every Fable, every Legendary. Obviously, I'm just adding up these two numbers, but that's about uh, that's three thousand seven hundred ninety dollars right now. And I am mostly curious if, for instance, uh, let's say the Fable Index drops two hundred dollars to a thousand does the legendary index raise that 200 and i think what we will be able to see uh up until new cards are printed and we have to change ratios and stuff i think this will be a good measure of if people more people are getting into or getting out of the game okay that's fair uh so i mean individual price things are interesting but that's the only reason i have a total market cap is i think it is a good indicator of the health of the game is if people are buying or selling, you know, the most expensive and most powerful cards, you know? That stands the reason, actually. I, yeah, I mean, I went to school for economics, so it's like I finally get a chance to use it sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't come up often, but there is a degree framed in this office, so uh, <laughs> so it's nice to use it on occasion. So yeah, I guess, I guess we would be able to see, like, the pace of, like, the, the direction the game's going, maybe, maybe with this data. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so like, okay, so for instance, next week, let's say they make an announcement this week and people are like, yeah, this game sucks. We're getting out. I would expect all those prices to fall, right? But if they make an announcement and people are like, oh, this is sweet, I would expect all those prices to rise. And I know that seems very obvious, but when there's not an obvious announcement and we're just looking at state of play and game experiences, because I mean, for the last month, there hasn't really been a single announcement in this game, right? We've just been looking at play experiences, how people are feeling. Um, and I mean, obviously, there are other factors. This isn't a perfect science. No economics is. Economics is an art. Um, and it's uh, it's very interesting, you know, especially in times of no news to see what the health of the game looks like. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of why I did this. Also, so we can get our blooded Drakai's at $88. <laughs> that was a good idea. Absolutely. I already have mine. Excellent. I'm probably going to drop a Franklin in a few minutes. So. Uh, that's about everything I planned for this week. Matt, did I miss anything? Um, you know, I don't really think there's anything we missed that was too important, you know? Um, we covered most of the important information data. Uh, we went over skirmish season, uh, market updates, and some of the previews hopefully we might be seeing soon. Prism living legending soon. I guess that's one way to word that. To yeah. Verb, to, to verb living legend. Yeah, she'll die by becoming living, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. I think that's the funniest thing about Living Legend is it's like it kills the deck, but it's called Living Legend. I don't know. <laughs> they continue to live on in our hearts. Right? But not in our deck boxes. God, if they print a new Prism card, it's going to suck. Uh, well, actually, no, it isn't. Prism's ability is cool, like it's good, but really the problem wasn't Prism. The problem was Luminaris, you know? Yeah, Luminaris is kind of dumb. That's, Luminaris you know, was Lu- that Luminaris was uh, the key to making that deck actually good, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you weren't, people weren't pissed off about Prism. They were pissed off about Luminaris, whether they realized it or not. So I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully she's gone. I, that's all I, you know, I just want her gone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, I'm probably going to play her at every armory until I'm legally not allowed to anymore uh, as a farewell tour. So I, and I'm talking old school vestige of soul library of Solana. Maybe I'll bring Let's out go. glistens just for the farewell cold tour. Foil, that's uh, right. Cold foil iris of reality. <laughs> cold foil iris, uh, which will remain legal. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but I think that about does it for the pitch stack episode 21. Uh, we appreciate y'all bearing with us as we come to you a little late this week. Uh, but I'm also as a, uh, as a man of science, very curious to see what our metrics look like for a Thursday release, because uh, in podcasts, traditionally Thursday releases do have the best metrics. So we will see. Um, I don't know if our schedules will allow that, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But, you know, uh, thanks for bearing with us, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care.